The Rod and Staff podcast comes out of the host's passion for Christ and his church. It exists to encourage a deeper engagement with issues that pertain to doctrine and life. Check us out at rodandstaff.org. Welcome to this episode of the Rod and Staff podcast. I'm your host, Jason, along with my co-host, Roger. And uh, we are back with another episode, uh, taking a look at, uh, again, the London Baptist Confession of 1689 with what we think is a really important uh, part of the uh, confession. It has to do with the doctrine of man, really. It's, it's under the doctrine of creation, but it has to do with kind of who we are as human beings. And I think there's a lot of pertinent information and important uh, kind of topics to, to think through this, this time, Roger. Uh, but before we get to that... Um, there's some other good stuff coming up. Um, anything interesting on the calendar coming up, say October 7th and 8th? I can't remember. Let me check. You can't. <laughs> it's not your wife's birthday or something, <laughs> is it? I hope not. I better not be having uh, trouble. <laughs> uh, well, for those that are not yet aware, we're really excited and we're getting closer and closer to the, our first ever conference, uh, the Doctrine for Life Conference. Uh, we are co-hosting uh, that with the Back to the Reformation podcast, uh, the Rod and Staff podcast, and then, of course, uh, Mount Ararat Bible Church, our church uh, family here. And October 7th and 8th, there is a conference. The theme is Law, Gospel, and Growth, where uh, there are two speakers, the Reverend Dr. John Fonville of Paramount Church in uh Jacksonville. Jacksonville. I was going to say St. Louis. No, that's the other one. In Jacksonville, uh, Florida. Uh, and Reverend Dr. Michael Matosian. And I can't remember my own brother's church's name, but he's from wow. Church in St. Louis, Orthodox Presbyterian Church in St. Louis. I think it's called Christ Presbyterian Church, okay. but I'm just not sure anymore. I probably should have the flyer in front of me. Uh, but we're really excited. Um, the, they, they, the theme is great. Uh, they're going to be addressing issues of law and gospel, issues of the means of grace and identity. Uh, so they're going to kind of tie these things in. Um, we got the uh, titles recently for the lectures, and it's just getting me more and more excited. Roger, what's most exciting about our upcoming conference for you? Well, what's different about our conference than any other conference we've ever been to? Well, there are a couple of things that are different. One is, and maybe this is the most important thing that you're alluding to, kebab night. Right, which yes. theology conference yeah. do you go to and get kebab for bre- for for breakfast? For not breakfast. for breakfast. <laughs> Sorry, for dinner. Um, so yeah, that's right. Saturday night, October eighth, we're having a, a we're ending it with a big kebab mm-hmm. night, and uh, we're excited about that. Is that what you're referring to? That's the difference. That's the only thing that stands out about our conference. It's going to make it right. Can make or break the conference. No, no, I'm looking forward to. <laughs> I'm looking forward to both speakers. I yeah. haven't really heard much of your brother's yep. uh, teaching, but I'm looking forward to hearing it. I have followed um, uh, John Fondale John yeah. for a while and his sermons and hearing him on different podcasts. Yep. Uh, very encouraging. Uh, uh, loves the word. Yep. Uh, loves the church. And, and so looking forward to hearing him. And Yeah. Yeah, uh, I've heard my brother a lot over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, he's yelled at me quite a few times. I'm the little brother, so he's you know mistreated. No, no. So you guys uh, uh, rank who's the better preacher? You ever have 
competition in the family. You know, he's yeah. always eight years ahead of me in everything. So I always tell him that basically I'm in your shadow and I just follow you around. So is he taller than you? He is not taller than okay, me. Okay, you got that. Wow. The, that's right. I'm the tallest <laughs> brother, <job>. which, <laughs> but he's the smart one. So, okay. and uh, we're, I'm, I'm thrilled. He, he really is a faithful teacher, loves the Lord, loves his word, knows his theology. Mm, um, he's a good reformed Presbyterian guy who I've learned so much from. And so I'm excited. I'm, I'm glad uh, that he's going to speak. I'm glad that John Fonville is going to speak. It's going to be a great time. Um, uh, something else that really, I, I think, hopefully stands out. So for our listeners to know about this conference is we really take this idea of doctrine for life seriously. Um, that w- the reason we've chosen the topic that we've chosen and we've asked them to address these things, we think they're very pertinent to the daily Christian life. And... Um, it's going to be theological because the topics are theological, but it's also going to be theology for life, for everyday living, which I think all theology really is. Mm-hmm. And um, we're excited. So yeah. any other thoughts on that? Sign up, right? Sign up. Uh, we've already got some registrations. It's going to fill up quickly. We have limited space. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, go online, www.doctrine4life.com and you can register there. And uh, it's, not expensive. It's a fifty dollar mm-hmm. um, uh, charge there, and simply because that's going to cover the expenses of you know the kebab dinner and the you know speakers and flying him in from out of town and stuff. So it's really an inexpensive conference too, and uh, we hope to keep it that way. And um, yeah, hope that people can make it. With that in mind, Roger, uh, what an important topic. Mm-hmm. Article four. We covered uh, paragraph one. Uh, last time, which was creation, um, and specifically in the beginning, what did God do? God created this time, really, we turn from kind of this broader creation to a much more focused Mm -hmm. creation because, uh, it starts, I'll I'll just read the first line and then I'm going to go ahead and read the rest, but it starts this way. Paragraph two says, after God had made all the other creatures, he created humanity. And so it's going to focus in here on humans, mm-hmm. on what does it mean to be human even. I think uh, that's an important topic for today. Before we jump into this, Roger, why do you think it's such an important topic for today to think about biblical anthropology? Because identity has been lost and redefined and confused in our day. Yeah. And sin... Uh, isn't a topic that is uh, going to make you popular or identity now. So it used to just be sin, you know, you know, sin's offensive, of course, mm-hmm. to call somebody a sinner. But now to question how somebody wants to identify themselves in yeah. whatever way they want becomes an offensive yeah. thing to do. And the word of God is very specific and direct and does not leave any room for man to define himself, but starts with how God defines his creation. Yeah. So our world is redefining what God has clearly defined. Yeah. And it's, it's so um, interesting. I think uh, to go back to Carl Truman's book, the rise mm-hmm. and triumph of the modern self, uh, he talked about the modern self and the kind of identity that w- mm-hmm. we have today is this psychological man, this therapeutic identity, um, 
and we design, like you said, we define our own identity. We decide all those things and, uh, and the confession, which would have had nothing, no knowledge of anything like that going on. Right. Um, but the confession is so contrary to that. The Bible is so contrary. It doesn't, it doesn't say you define your own reality. Yeah. It says God has defined reality. He has designed you according to a certain mm. pattern of his own desire. So it's God's desire, right? That, that is, um, central instead of our desire. And so it, it really is at odds with what we see today. So let's read through. We'll look at paragraph two, hopefully get into paragraph three as well, depending on um, uh, how far we get. One other thing, Roger, though, I think it's in- important uh, to think about um, doctrine of man and and man is created. And of course, sin later on, it's really important for counseling, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. It kind of is up your alley in, in what you've studied um, as a biblical counselor. And I think anthropology is so important to understand what's wrong with us and the solutions as well. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that this will, yeah. let's keep a, an eye out for biblical counseling themes as well. All right. So here's how the paragraph reads. After God had made all the other creatures, he created humanity. He made them male and female with rational and immortal souls, thereby making them suited to that life lived unto God for which they were created. They were made in the image of God, being endowed with knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness. They had the law of God written in their hearts and the power to fulfill it. Even so, they could still transgress the law, because they were left to the liberty of their own will, which was subject to change. There's a lot, <laughs> a lot in there, and let's uh, let's kind of break it down. So, looking at that second sentence there, starting with "He made them male and female." What are the key themes that just jump out at you, Raj, as you're looking at it kind of through your lens? What do you see here? I think it's clear that there is distinctions uh, in male and female that he created. He, you know, the confession calls it out. There were two distinct uh, uh, identities, you can call it, but the sexes, there's male mm-hmm. and there's female that God had created. Now, we know that goes against the modern thinking of our day, which is very inconsistent, who want to live without categories who want to create new categories but cannot live consistently mm-hmm. even within those values yeah. as we see uh, uh, of thinking. But it's it's natural to think like this mm-hmm. as we see ourselves, um, and, and it has to be taught otherwise, but I think that's, we're not talking about sin here, but that's what sin has brought confusion to. Right. Right. It's, right. It's, that's a really good point, uh, Roger. It's, it is natural to think in terms of male and female because that is reality. Mm-hmm. It always has been reality. And uh, if you allow someone to just grow up and live, they will think in those terms. You have to force upon these children uh, these new, you know, hundreds of uh, identity, you know, gender identities for them to even... 
uh, think in those terms. They never would. Now, even someone, let's say, who struggles with what they call tr- uh, you know, gender dysphoria, yeah. even that struggle is, is a struggle in the binary. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, you, they're struggling. Am I a boy or a girl or why do I have interests that seem more in line with whatever, you know? Um, but you're right. It's natural to think in these terms, uh, and unnatural to think in other terms. Yeah. And when I was at, uh, the CCF conference last year, mm-hmm. Alistair Groves did a message mm-hmm. and it actually came out on their podcast. You can, you can hear the whole message. And he was going into First Kings, talking about how everybody was doing right in their own eyes. Mm. But he was connecting it back to a modern day thinking of identity and, and, you know, talking about uh, male and female, but more so talking about how how painful and cruel it is to force upon a generation. You need to find out who you are. Mm. You need to discover yourself. You need to go through this entire process. And he talked about how that's actually uh, painful to people yeah. because look what you're trying to do to them. You're trying to force them to discover on their own without any objective truth, Mm -hmm. figure out who you are and define yourself by yourself. Right. And he said, but God has already done and, and how kind of upside world, uh, upside down the world is today, and mm-hmm. everybody does what's right in their own eyes. And I thought it was such a powerful illustration of walking alongside people who have been told their entire life now, growing up as a child, mm-hmm. you need to figure it out. You need to find yourself. It's okay to question everything that's even natural and try to define yourself. Yeah. And think about young children growing up in that, I mean— it's so new, but now it's starting younger and younger yeah. to, to create that confusion and to create just a idea of you need to figure it all out for yourself yeah. by yourself. Yeah. By, by the time you're seven, yeah. because otherwise we need to start pumping you with, uh, you know, hormones to yeah. stop things and start things. And yeah. And then you're told if you don't affirm everybody's confusion, mm-hmm. Right. You're not, you're not loving to them. That's the world's thinking, right? We need to all affirm just any confusion we have instead of an actual truth, but you can't live consistently with that. Everybody defines. It was just recently, I don't know if it was, uh, I forget which law school it was, but the Dean of some law school, um, was in front of, uh, the Senate answering some questions. One of the senators was interacting with her and she, um, she asked him, do you believe that some men can have ch- can be pregnant and have children, bear children? And he said, no, I do not believe that men can become pregnant and bear children. To which she responded, you are a transphobic person then. That's transphobia. And I think his response was, if he, if it wasn't, it was because it's what I wanted him to respond. And uh, so I'm in my mind, he responded that way. I think he said, no, uh, I'm living, you know, I'm, I'm living in reality. Right. But how interesting that look at the way the world thinks. If you can't affirm that male and female as God has designed and told us even through natural and special revelation, interestingly, um, you are now considered a hateful person. Um, you are the cause. I mean, she kept saying, you know, that, you know, 20% of people that deal with this are suicidal and blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm going, it's not, 
First of all, we love those people. We would provide support for those who are dealing with this kind of confusion. You're just confusing them more, you know? And don't you then destroy movements? Like, wouldn't you destroy the women's movement, the feminist movement, right? Now, if you don't have a female and everybody is just kind of confused, then you're, you're taking out because now it's everybody that you can't, you can't describe it right now. They're trying to use terminology like birthing people. Yeah. It's like uh, insane. Yeah. It's nonsense, right? It's, (laughs) you know, Paul says in Romans one, he talks about, you know, giving them over to their own sinful desires and the futility of their minds and those things that that's what we're seeing. Yeah. 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 I, I can't categorize it any other way. That's what we're seeing. And something like this statement, um, is so, uh, contrary to today's culture, yeah, which is why we need to affirm this more and more and mm-hmm. teach our kids and teach our churches. He made them male and female with rational and immortal souls. What do you think that means? Uh, what's he referring to? Or are they referring to rational and immortal souls? Yeah. I think in, in simple terms, thinking beings, you know, made in the image of God so they can think, mm-hmm. they can make decisions, rational, use logic, mm-hmm. but immortal. Yeah. That they were created for something more, that they're, they're not just here for a moment and gone. Yeah. It's even some, some think you're just, you know, live your life however you want. You're just, you're just done. You just go in air or whatever. Yeah. Immortal. That every soul, every person that is created has an immortal soul. Yeah. Live on forever. Just the weight of that. Yeah. Uh, and and we're the only, um, at least earthly creature that has that, right? Yeah. You know, I, I know uh, this might be harmful to some of our listeners, but um, no, all dogs don't go to heaven. Only um, the good ones. Only the good ones. That's right. <laughs> only. <laughs> so, and my cat will certainly not be in heaven mm. or, or else I, you know, I won't say it. Um, yeah. But, you know, what a, what a valuable, you know, we are the crown of creation, yeah. um, which I think the, the first line is kind of pushing on too. But this, this idea of um, uh, rational and immortal, and then he, they go on um, explaining kind of what that connection is. Why is this rational and immortal so important? It says, thereby making them suited to that life lived unto God for which they were created. Yeah. I love that language. In other words, we needed to be rational and moral so that we could have this relationship that we have with God, Mm -hmm. the relationship of imaging him, representing him and worshiping him. Um, What do you see here in in this stuff? Anything else? And I think even we're we're his possession. Mm. We're his creation. We weren't created to be independent. We were created for dependence, both rational and immortal, but we're not. (laughs) We're not all powerful where we're now, now. How important is that? Just that distinction, Roger, that you made, uh, that we are, we are made for dependence on him. That's part of the design mm-hmm. that we have that kind of connection with God that we're dependent on him. Kind of go into that a little bit more, uh, as you see it, why do you think that's so important and, and how do we get it wrong sometimes? I think we try to live apart from him, maybe in our own wisdom, in our own thoughts of what we think. I mean, whenever we come up with our own ideas apart from what God has revealed, we know sin is mixed up in that. 
and where do we ever get to something good? Now, God has given us wisdom to do many great things, but left to our own devices, we're, we're, we'll go astray. And, and God didn't create us in a way of, in yourself, you can be independent and powerful enough to handle everything. Mm. I mean, even think of how limited we are in our own physical strength. Mm. Our bodies eventually break down. Yeah, It's a reminder that you, you came from dust, you're going to return to dust. Your body will decay. Your body will finally wear out. Yeah. A reminder you're not going to live forever here yeah and therefore you need someone else but then we're not even talking about salvation and mm-hmm. getting into the whole uh, understanding of uh salvation is not sure. in of us. of yeah. us it's yeah. of, of god so yeah. there was a sense where he even created us weak beings to point us back yeah to him and i, and I think it leads us to understand that for us to be our best selves right mm-hmm. the best version the the most fulfilled the most um uh useful the the best that we can be you we have to be living according to our design and our design is we're literally built to be dependent on him mm-hmm. um so it's in our rebellion that we actually are going toward destruction and toward weakness even more but when we're dependent on him, uh, we are, um, we can be most, we can thrive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what kind of David, or not David, whoever wrote Psalm 119. <laughs> See, I always forget that. I thought he's the one, but he's not. I don't think he's the one that wrote Psalm 119, but maybe. Um, but he, uh, the psalmist, so often kind of talks about thriving by abiding by the, the statutes, by God's law, by God's word. Um and it's true because that's how we were built. We were made for that very purpose. Um, what about this this line here? Being in da- we're the image of God, endowed with knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness. Knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness. Why do those things matter? And and what is that getting at? I think it's distinct from all else of creation. So talking a little bit about what it means to be made in the image of God. Mm. Um, I don't think that you would, you would say other parts of creation share in this, right? Your dog filled with knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, true holiness. My cat isn't either. Definitely not cats. We we know that they're very fallen. No, they are fallen. Mm -hmm. But, but it's a distinction of, of man and the rest of creation, but then also a sharing in, in somewhat of of the attributes of God in a way mm-hmm. of, of having knowledge and righteousness and true holiness. Now I wonder is this talking about just the the pre-fall state of Adam and Eve in the garden mm. because we know that when we fall we're not filled with righteousness and true holiness. That's our problem. We need to get back to the garden. But in in the original design, yeah. we were imaging God and that's a that's a reflection back of who he is right yeah. it, it's a reflection of 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 his righteousness his, absolutely his holiness. I think actually that the language is pretty directly from Paul's letters um I'm trying to uh 
Yeah, if you look at <clears throat> Ephesians 4:24 when it's talking about the new life, the new man, kind mm-hmm. of the recreated, redeemed man. He talks about putting on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Mm-hmm. And then I believe <clears throat> Colossians uses the language of knowledge in the same kind of context there. If I'm not mistaken, I can quickly uh, look at chapter three. It's there somewhere. I'll find it. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, so I think that's using, like you said, it is it is talking about pre-fall. Um, and I think that language actually helps us to see later on what we lost at the yeah. fall. We've been tainted in our knowledge, in our righteousness, and in our holiness being set apart for, for the things of God. Um, but we'll get to that sometime as well. What about this whole um, part here about the law of God being written in their hearts and them having the power to fulfill it. What do you, what do you make of that? I think of the next two words they say, even so, (laughs) if only it stopped right there, right? Right. This is pre-law. There's no written mosaic law at this point, Mm -hmm. but the law was there. It was on their heart. And they had the power to fulfill it. But what is not easily understandable to our human mind, right? They had the power to fulfill it. They were perfect in righteousness and holiness in the garden with true communion with God. Mm -hmm. Even so, they could still transgress and rebel against God's law. Yeah. And the liberty of their own will. Mm Mm-hmm. They hmm. could stray from God. Now, God knows everything. He, right. saw, he This wasn't a surprise to him. Right. Oh, no, I created man. And I forgot he has a little bit of a defect. Send him <laughs> back, recall a man, and I need to redo it, right? It, no. He knew all that, yet he allowed in his wisdom, mm-hmm. in his goodness, the ability to sin, right? And in, in heaven, we don't have the ability to sin. Right. You know, it, there's a few things that jumped out at me here. Um, one of them has to do with this idea of the law being written on our hearts. Um, there's something there, but I was looking at the passage they reference, which is Romans 2.15. And Romans 2.15, as a friend of mine pointed out to me at some point, it doesn't say the law is written on their hearts. It says the work of the law is written on their hearts. And uh, Doug Moose says some, it's something like, the things of the law or the conduct that the law demands was written on their hearts. So it's not necessarily the Mosaic law, um, but kind of more general law in a sense, what the law demands. They knew right from wrong. Morality was built into them. Uh, That that's one thing. But like you said, there's this, there's this, what we call relative perfection that they Mm -hmm. had, right? They weren't perfect as in what we're going to be in glory. Yeah. But they had this relative perfection because they still could fall or they could sin. And Augustine kind of breaks things up into those four, uh, I won't get into the Latin phrases, but it's kind of cool in the Latin. Um, But Augustine talked about, he said, okay, look, at creation, we were able to sin and able not to sin. It was relative perfection. We didn't have sin in us. There wasn't the taint of sin yet, but we could do either. After the fall, we become 
not able not to sin. Yeah. Now we're, we're fallen creatures. And so that liberty, by the way, of their own will that was subject, subject to change, subject to change. It changed. Yeah. <laughs> now that will is bound. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that. It's when we're redeemed in Christ that we're now able not to sin. Okay. We're still able to sin, but we're also now in Christ. Dominion of sin is removed. So we're yeah. able not to sin, but we have a flesh spirit battle. Yeah. Uh, and then in glory, though, we're finally going to be not able to sin. And that's the greatest expectation that we can have. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about this liberty of the will for a second here. What does it mean that liberty of will? What do you think the, the confession's referring to here? And is it the same? Do we still have this liberty that they're talking about? To choose to do wrong? Yeah. How about the, to, to choose to do right? Yeah. I, I, yes, it, yes and, and then in your explanation of how we're bound to sin after the fall, it changed. Mm-hmm. There's something that seems more attractive and, and goes more towards sin than to righteousness. There is a, you know, power of sin has been broken, That, but that doesn't mean I always choose right. Yeah. That there is still this, this tug of war there, and there is the liberty that I'm actually making the choice. It's man is responsible. I can't blame mm-hmm. God. God, you made me like this. It's your fault. Yeah. We're afraid to use the language of will or freedom of will yeah. um, as good old reformed and evangelical folks, but we do have the freedom issue is not necessarily the will as much as what the heart mm-hmm. right we don't want yeah good things <laughs> we're talking about in the fallen state um we we want wicked things evil things selfish mm-hmm. things um and so there's the interplay between the will and the heart and affections and, and desires and things so yeah um any thoughts on that looking at the time and I think we're, we're just not going to be able to go to this third one. Uh, Roger, what do you think? Should we, should we try to read it at least? Let's try to read it and see if we get some thoughts. All on right, here. let's get some it's thoughts out here. Our third paragraph, in addition to the law written in their hearts, they received a command not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As long as they obeyed this command, they were happy in their communion with God and had dominion over the creatures. Well, what's it saying? As long as they obeyed this command, right, to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, um, they were happy in their communion with God and had dominion over the creatures. Isn't that the epitome of the law? Do this and live. Mm -hmm. Yep. Do this and live. But we know... They received a command, and they quickly disobeyed. How long did that last, I wonder, right? I, we don't know in Scripture, but it yeah. wasn't very long <laughs> before they sinned immediately, you know? Yeah. But mm-hmm. but that's the, but that is both terrifying, mm-hmm. you know, to see if you live by that, if you live by that law. But to think about it, is that not how some believers live their lives? That if I'm not in obedience to God— However, that's defined. 
I'm not in communion with God. Mm. So there's even something I think a little messy in our sanctification that we live by this law, that we have to be in, in perfect obedience to be in communion with God when we know we can't. Yeah. Let, let's let's uh, help our listeners a little bit here because that's a really important point you're making, Roger. So I, I want everyone to be clear on it so we can think through this together. But the way this the confession reads, it says, as long as they obeyed this command, they're happy in their communion with God. So their relationship with God was dependent on their obedience. Yes. Okay. Um, that's different today mm-hmm. because for Christians because we're not under the covenant of works. We're not under, under the the law, which is in many people's understanding, a republication of the covenant of works. We're under grace. Yeah. Now Christ himself has fulfilled that law and works. Yes. So because of his obedience, right? Not because of our obedience, yeah. because of his obedience, we do and can have communion, close communion with God. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah, that's a good good distinction because that's the connection to bring back in the covenants that we've talked about yeah. and to bring in how Christ fulfilled what Adam failed to fulfill. That's right. It, it wasn't, you know, it was clearly stated, but he, he didn't. He failed so that the better Adam came. That's right. Fulfills it and fulfilled it so that those who are in Christ today yeah. have that connection to God, not based on them, but based on what Christ has done, which gives us communion That's right. with God at all times. So God is never apart from us when we're in Christ. Yeah. Now we may be miserable Christians, but yep. it doesn't mean we're apart from him or we need to work our way back to be in communion. That's right. we, we don't put Christ to the side and say, okay, your work was done. Thanks for getting me in. Now I'll keep myself in. You got me in. You keep me in. It's always been on That's your right. obedience. <laughs> And look, let's be honest. There are times in our disobedience that we feel distant from God. Sure. But I would say that's partly because we have not understood the grace that we have in Christ and what our union with Christ um, gives to us. And so what Paul likes to do is remind us of who we are in Christ. That's how we return to that deep communion with the Father, uh, at least that apparent uh, communion like we it's not that we've ever lost it it's we have it we are that in christ and um so it's it's interesting that you went that direction it's funny because they're just laying out doctrine of man and you like went straight Sorry. to the heart of well the gospel so that's a good thing that's a good thing but uh oh man there's so much more to talk about on this but and and folks we may have gone a little longer this time but it's because uh well a couple things one this is going to be our last episode uh, until September. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we'll be back, uh, together. We're taking a, a little bit of time off and we'll be back in September. So for those that are just listening, maybe for the first time, we, we have a, a, an episode released every other Monday or so. Yep. I think that's the way we do every it other Monday. every other Monday. And so, um, we will, we will start back up after this current episode, um, in it's September, the mm-hmm. month of September. And so we hope that you enjoyed uh, thinking through this topic with us. Uh, We'll be back with some new exciting things that we're working on for our next season. Uh, And also don't forget our uh, upcoming um, conference, doctrineforlife.com. Until next time. 
If you enjoyed this episode of the Rod and Staff podcast, please subscribe and share with others. For more information or to contact the host with questions or comments, please send email correspondence to feedback at rodnstaff.org. That is feedback at rod, the letter N, staff.org.